0: This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Thank you so much for joining us again. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. And in Romans 5, he writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't Paul also write in Romans 1 that those whom God has given up to a depraved mind include the boastful? How do we reconcile those passages? We're going to get some help on that today with Josh Moody, Senior Pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. He is the founder and president of God-Centered Life Ministries and author of the new book, Boasting, When We Boast Right, We Live Right, and We Bear Much Fruit to God's Honor. Josh, great to welcome you back. How are you?
2: Thank you so much, Janet. Yes, and it's great to be back on your program. I always enjoy it, and I love that emphasis on God's Word that I just heard in the introduction. That's just marvelous. Well, wonderful.
0: Th- thank you, Josh. It's always great to have you here, and that's what it's all about, because I know anybody who is listening who knows the Word of God will say, well, I know we're not supposed to be boastful, but then Paul turns around and says he's boasting. How are we supposed to understand this disparity between the word boasting in a good context and the word boasting in a bad context?
2: Well I think it's a great question and it really got me doing some research. I was preaching through uh, Romans and I got to that passage you just quoted in Romans chapter 5 and I I asked exactly that question. It's like, "Hold on, you know, we we're, we're to boast in the hope of the, but in chapter 3 he's just said boasting is excluded. What's going on here?" And that that put me on a journey to look through both what Paul says about boasting and then the the overall sort of idea of how you can, as it were, um, promote Jesus without getting into the sort of negative side of boasting. So I, I, I categorize it in my mind as negative boasting or positive boasting, negative being sinful and sort of boasting yourself, and positive being boasting the glory of God, which we're meant to do. And just really looked at it through scripture in terms of spirituality and practice. And I think it does come down to things like your focus, uh, your attitude, but uh, also the story you're telling.
0: Yeah, that's right. So when you look at Paul, for example, help us understand a little bit about Paul's theology of boasting. How did he see boasting positive versus boasting negative?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, so in terms of the story you're telling, so the boasting uh, that in a negative sense is you know, the, the self-righteousness, the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good, and uh, I, I can find my way uh, to heaven, I can do what needs to be done, I can obey God's laws, and, you know, I may not be perfect, but I've done enough. And what Paul says is, no, when you really begin to understand what the standard actually is, what the law teaches, then there's no unrighteous, not even one, and therefore all boasting is excluded. Right. on the other hand once you also begin to understand he moves through his argument then once you begin to understand what the gospel is and that you're saved by grace now you enter into a place into a different realm really whereby now you do have something to boast about and it's, it's boasting about what jesus has done and so that means that we we're not uh, uh, you know, and then we're moving on. You, you asked the question about theology. Now I'm moving on to the sort of functionality, the practice of it. But it means we're not wallflowers, We're not pushovers. We're not people who stand back and watch things go on in the world or in the church and don't have a voice. Uh, we do need to stand up and speak to things. But now it's, it's speaking out of a, a sense of what the gospel is rather than out of our own self-righteousness. It becomes a very... Um, fine-tuned distinction, but but a cavernous distinction at the same time. And I think it's especially important to get right in our day of social media, internet, you know, where everyone can boast about something to a million people. Oh,
0: yes, exactly. Now, this is interesting, though. I have often wondered over the years when I see these passages, particularly from Paul, why does he use the word boast? Because obviously we are to proclaim Christ Jesus. We are to share the gospel and tell people what the Lord has done for us and what he's done for them. Why pick that word boast in particular? What significance or weight do you see that having?
2: I think it does sort of rattle the cage a little bit. If you know what I mean, it does uh, beg the question. If you just, you know, if we just say, well, we should be praising Jesus, it begins to sound like, well, yeah, I get that. But if you say, well, we should be boasting about Jesus, and it moves it into the, into the category. In the ancient world, you know, we're meant to be boasting about something. We've got something good, we're, you know, if we give a lot of money to some cause, we put our name on the building, we, we, we look for a legacy, uh, which is, you know, our attainments, all these kind of things that are very, you know, prevalent in today's world and culture as well. Um, but is the alternative to that, to not say anything about what God's doing in your life? No, that, no that's not the alternative. So Paul talks about boasting in weaknesses. Well, right. that's totally counterintuitive. And yet if, if the story we're telling it's the story of the gospel and Jesus' work in our life. Then we talk about, well, you know, I'm not that great, really. And I, you know, I sure do make a lot of mistakes, but God uses someone even like me. And, and we talk loudly about that. Perhaps that'd be another way. It's a, it's a, it's a voluminous kind of phrase. We're talking loudly about something. We're not, we're not passive and mealy-mouthed and uh, taking a backward step. There's something that we are promoting. That might be a, another way of looking. We're actually promoting something but it isn't sinful selfishness. It's God and his work in our lives.
0: Oh, that's good, promoting. That makes it a little bit more clear. So when you say, for example, that boasting is everywhere in the book of Second Corinthians, you cite, for example, chapter 1, verse 12, where he says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Why do you think Second Corinthians has the boasting? theme throughout.
2: Uh yeah, well as as you you know John 2 Corinthians, you know the Corinthian context there with all this um, uh, sort of worldly wisdom, as we think about it, this this idea of that the sophists, the wise um, uh, rhetoricians, the the orators who you know were, were paid good money to, to go and give a, a kind of thrilling lecture that people would go to and and, and and sort of putting themselves forward so there's a whole it was a sort of new at the time of Paul there was this emphasis upon this rhetoric and then also this emphasis upon um, Um, the the nouveau riche of of Corinthians, the kind of hard thrusting, you know, we made money quick. It was that kind of place. And so in the context of of Corinth, with the new church there, and you've got all this going on in the culture, Paul's addressing that, It'd be a bit like, you know, if you're writing a letter to perhaps, you know, church in Wall Street, you might address money, you know, it's gonna be, be in the atmosphere. Yeah. And similarly in Corinth, you know this whole idea of boasting, this whole idea of putting yourself forward and being a, a self-made man who's you know, really made a lot of money and, and, and now you're supporting these these orators who are proclaiming all these exciting things, boasting, promoting self-promotion is just in the air all the time. And so the gospel has to challenge that. And what, well, should we not promote anything? No, we should promote something. What should we promote? Well, we should promote Jesus. And then you take it into our context with, you know, social media, the internet, um, with all the different ways that we're all in conversation all the time, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, Instagram. In some ways we live in that sort of culture again today where there's constant push to promote, you know, a good story about what's happening in your life. And here's the gospel saying we should be promoting a story, and that might mean emphasizing some things that are, that are weak in our own lives mm-hmm. in order that, by contrast, you know, the power of Christ uh, can, be, can be promoted.
0: Right. So, in other words, if Paul is boasting in his weakness, it makes Jesus look that much stronger.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, huge contrast. Yeah,
0: it's, it's interesting, too, because the advantages of boasting in Jesus would be what? In, in using that phrase, that I'm going to boast in Christ, what is the advantage in boasting in Christ for the unbeliever?
2: For the unbeliever? Well, I think the advantage is, you know, I, I think um, in our sort of cultural moment on this issue, there are a couple of different uh, pressures we're feeling. I think one pressure we're feeling is because we live in a time of massive celebrity culture, it's not to push forward the gospel. And, and, and indeed, the parts of the gospel that seem so controversial, there's only one way to Jesus, there are certain ethical standards that we, we, we know are important, that, that indeed you're a sinner unless you're saved by grace. Okay. These, these core parts of the gospel that are controversial we are being pressurized, we being the church at large, God's people at large, are under pressure to downplay that and not emphasize that, not promote that. So for the unbeliever, with grace, with love, with, yes, tact and kindness, we're going to put that front and center of the gospel of that. Jesus.
0: Josh, hang on. We're going to go to a very quick break. We'll be back with Pastor Josh Moody and his book, Boasting. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat.
1: The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than
0: money. You guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855 402 Baby, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty Health Share, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty Health Share is a non-profit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today
1: And now, here's Janet
0: We are back on Janet Mefford today And we are talking about Boasting With Josh Moody, who is senior pastor at College Church in Wheaton, and we're talking about this concept that we see throughout Scripture. Now, for example, in Jeremiah 9, 24, it says, But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, this is from the perspective of the Lord, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So, Josh, you you have a section in your book on boasting in the Old Testament. Do you see significant differences in how boasting is addressed in the Old Testament as opposed to the new?
2: Not really, no. I wouldn't say there were significant differences. Obviously, it's a different stage in God's salvation plan. And so more is yet to be revealed. So what does it it mean to boast, you know, let him who boasts, boasts in me? What does it mean to boast in the Lord? Well, from a New Testament perspective, obviously because, you know, Jesus has come and then we're living on that side of the death, the resurrection of Jesus. We have a lot more to say about that. But I think it's the same, it's the same basic idea. It's just earlier on in God's salvation plan. And so for God's Old Testament people, you know, boast in the Lord means that they are his people and they are to follow his way and there to be people of his word and of his grace and of his love, his His covenant love, his hesed covenant mercy. Hmm. And so they're, they're putting their faith there rather than, you know, in their own cultural heritage, you know, that we're so special. Well, no, you, we're not so special. God picked us. And it's his grace, his mercy, his love. And, and it's not our sort of, um, you know, specialness. It's God's love. And so we're boasting in him rather than our own identity. Well, as we come to the other side of the cross, then that's all fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection. So then you get Paul talking about, you know, his weakness. He's boasting in what Christ has done for him, because Christ, you know, God's strength has made perfect and weakness. It all comes now through the lens of the cross, which in the Old Testament, of course, that hasn't yet been fulfilled. But I think it's the same sort of basic idea, but at an earlier stage in the salvation plan, if that, if that makes sense.
0: It makes total sense. Now, one of the books of the Bible that you mentioned in the Old Testament that deals with the concept of boasting is Jonah, which probably most of us wouldn't have guessed if they
1: <laughs> had been
0: put to a test and said, which book of the Bible do you think in the Old Testament it talks about yeah. boasting a lot? I'm not sure I would have guessed Jonah either. But how do you see that throughout the book of Jonah? Explain for people why you say that
2: yeah well i jonah's an amazing book isn't it we think of jonah as sort of about a you know what's what's the a fish tail you know a big fish tail sort of thing and (laughs) you know it it has it has memories in our minds from children's sunday school and, and all this and so what is what is the book of jonah really about well the book of jonah is is really about god's love um for for um People who are beyond the borders of of Israel and right. Jonah had to learn that lesson. Even Nineveh, even Nineveh, this this pace of pagan um, awful practices. If they repented, then God had to place for them in His salvation plan. And so, you know, Jonah, who you know wrestled with this, of course, and you know was running in the opposite direction from God's message, needed to be brought to a place where he, whereby he realized it wasn't him as a sort of how should we put it? A celebrity, Old Testament prophet. That was the point. <laughs> it was it was God's message that was the point, and it was for anyone. And it was in that that he needed to take his confidence. And so, I, I, in the old in some of the parts of the book, I take then having done the sort of work with the actual word boasting, I then say, well, okay, now we've got the word clear. What about the concept? And you see that concept in Jonah. I think whereby now Jonah is actually called to put his trust in a message beyond, you know, his own sort of celebrity identity as a prophet, but really in the message he's meant to be giving. He's meant to, in the terms I'm using the book, book, therefore boast in that.
0: That's interesting. Well, another book you mentioned is Esther. Now, you say rightly that Esther is the book where God's name is not mentioned. So, how does boasting in God come into play in Esther when God's name is never expressly put out there?
2: (laughs) It's fascinating, Esther, that way, isn't it? Yeah. I think sometimes, um, you know, in general terms in Esther, because God's name isn't mentioned, the work of God is emphasized even more. Hmm. Which sounds counterintuitive, but look at it like this. Um, here's just a little illustration. If you go to a flower shop, okay, so it has above the, uh, above the front door flowers here, right? And you walk in, and there are absolutely no flowers that you can see whatsoever. Hmm. You, you begin to think, well, what, why is this called a, a flower shop? What's, what's going on here? And so by the very silence, it forces you to say, where is God? And when we begin to ask that, ask that question, you realize that he's everywhere in Esther. He's orchestrating everything. And by the, by the, the silence about the name of the book he is emphasized even more and i think there is a place to do that you know sometimes we can sort of rush to give you know uh every spiritual problem there's a sort of band-aid bible verse rather than actually looking for the deeper work of god in that moment and pointing people to the the moments of silence where i you know you cannot where is god at this moment in your life and perhaps it's not obvious but because we know that God is at work through all things for his glory and for our good, it's at those very moments when God's name, as it were, is absent <laughs> that we are being called upon to actually hang on to him and by our life, like Esther, therefore trust in him and by the way we live, therefore boast in him.
0: Very good. What about the Lord Jesus? You have a chapter on, did Jesus boast? And that would seem <laughs> counterintuitive because the Lord, would, wouldn't it? yeah, yeah it, it, surely, it sure would. And,
2: what, what's your yeah. assessment
0: on that score?
2: Well, it all depends what you mean by boast. I mean, if, again, if we mean by boast of the negative boasting, the answer has to be absolutely no, of course. He's perfect in any kind of human hubris. He was absolutely lacking in at all, you know, humble, humble. Uh, uh, in every possible way, did not consider a quality of God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming obedient, uh, even even to death on a cross. So there's nothing in that that is boasting in that sense. But on the other hand, if we look at the, the word boasting in terms of not boasting in our own um, in our own strength, but in God. Then Jesus, of course, is the epitome of of what that is about. For because He went through, ador, uh, endured the shame of the cross, because of that He did it for the joy set before Him. Because of that, He's now exhorted to the highest highest place, and that His name every knee shall bow, which is the very centre point of our boasting. So, so not only is He an example of what it means to boast. He is that pattern of the cross, death, resurrection, ascension, or glorification. That is the one in whom we are to be boasting. Yes. And so it depends how you define the terms, but he defined it as okay, so there's negative boasting, we're not meant to do. Absolutely. He didn't do that. Positive boasting, which is exhorting the work of Christ, the work of God, the work of grace then that's everywhere in the New Testament, but everywhere in the life of Jesus. Yes.
0: Yeah. And and being sinless, there, he couldn't sin. So if there's right. a form of boasting going on about the work of the Lord, then that certainly is not sinful because whatever glory he gets, he, he's earned it. It's not like us.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think that is interesting. I mean, it's the whole celebrity thing that we're in the midst of this sort of moment where you know, you have sort of celebrity Christian leaders, and what does that really... It's a sort of... It's a kind of yuck. It's like, really? really, I don't like that. You know, what does that mean, even? And yet, so you don't want any of that, and yet you see Jesus... Who's quite unashamed to stand up before in the middle of the temple and say, "Look, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink." Yes. Now, of course, we're not to say that because it's about Jesus. But how? What are we, well, we, we are to stand up as it were in the middle of the temple and say, "If anyone is thirsty, let him go to Jesus and drink," and and be bold to do that? Um, and so, the, the the celebrity, if you like, if you want to use that term, which all the, the one who is to be famous is, of course, him. And so we are to push everything that direction. um, And, um, you know, uh, and even in our weaknesses, and then he's exalted through all that.
0: Well, it's interesting. We've seen some statistics in the last several years about the lack of evangelism. There was a study that just came out not too long ago about millennials saying you really shouldn't evangelize, which blows my mind. How in the world could you think that if you're an evangelical? But what about this problem of a lack of boldness, that uh, many Christians believe we're really suffering from in the present age of the church. Do you have any thoughts in that regard when it comes to the connection between boldness and boasting in the Lord?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that, because I I really do think there is something there. I think we, I sense, you know, if there was a generation that was, you know, man the barricades and shout loudly and perhaps did that, not always in a kind and loving way. Maybe, you know, if that's a criticism of the younger generation, of the older generation. May, may, you know, not saying that's true, but if that's a criticism. But you can, you can, the pendulum can swing too far the other way. Yeah. And, you know, what are people going to say on the last day if we're living in the same dormitory room as them or we're living down the street from them? And, you know, they knew that we were nice and they knew that we took care of poor people. All those things we must do, but they never heard us talk about Jesus or invite mm-hmm. them to a Bible study. or yeah. uh, Surely this, this whole idea of the gospel being promoted or, as I'm using this book, boasting in, you know, we've got to get that back in our bloodstreams, evangelicals as Christians, that we were his people and we we're unashamed in the gospel. And I think it does come down to this. I think, I mean, it was really helpful for me when I did the study every year. It comes down to this realization that I'm not, if I'm standing up there and telling someone about Jesus, I'm not pushing myself forward. I'm promoting him. Yes. And that's my calling. Yes. And that is what it means to be humble. Yes. Um, and it's not more humble not to say anything about him it's less humble <laughs> good
0: point good point well and you look at what Paul did on Mars Hill it was basically yeah. or even with Elijah in the battle with the prophets of Baal oh yeah my God example. reigns let me, let me explain this to you let me show <laughs> his power to you I mean we need more of that I think in the yeah. church yeah
2: yeah we need more Elijah's for sure we've got to get people who have that sort of crazy boldness out there now you know we've, we've got to have zeal with knowledge and it's got to be truth with love uh, but I do sense the pendulum's gone a little bit more to the sort of love without truth side of things.
0: Yeah, I've noticed the same thing, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. And I think this book is really going to help people really to go back to where we ought to be as Christians, and that is boasting in the Lord, not because we're something great, but because he is. The name of the book, again, Boasting by Pastor Josh Moody. Always great to have you here. Thank you so much, Josh, for being with us.
2: Thank you, Janet.
0: Thank you. God bless. And we'll be back. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Welcome back to Janet Meffer today. I think all Christians can agree that having the option to homeschool your children is a wonderful freedom in this country. Millions of children have benefited from at-home instruction that is free from so many of the unbiblical worldview and educational problems that come with enrolling your kids in public school. But what about the effects of homeschooling on mothers? What do you do as a homeschooling mom when you're facing anxiety or self-doubt about the godly work you are doing for your children in your home? We're going to get some insight on that today from Jamie. Erickson. She's a homeschooling mom of five and founder of The Unlikely Homeschool, as well as author of the book we'll be discussing called Homeschool Bravely. Jamie, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Well, I appreciate your being here. What is it, it, would you say, about homeschooling that does cause fear and anxiety for many Christian moms? Fear and anxiety is not necessarily what people might imagine. They might think, well, if you're a homeschooling mom, you're just having a great time every day.
1: Yeah. Well, I think fear and anxiety goes hand in hand with motherhood, but then when you couple that with a child's education and you put that full weight on a mom's shoulder, it just sort of amplifies all of that fear and anxiety that we're prone to anyway. Yeah,
0: that's true. What What do you find when you talk to other homeschooling moms about the way they feel about homeschooling? Is that kind of a common thing that you hear from other moms?
1: Yeah, they always feel not good enough. You know, Satan wants to always veer us from God's calling in our lives and to point out our inadequacies and our insufficiencies and make those glaring so that he can steer us off course.
0: Right. What would you say are some of the challenges that tend to elicit the fear and the anxiety? You mentioned that moms will say things like, I don't feel adequate to the task of homeschooling my children, but obviously there are a lot of other things that go on during the homeschooling you know, time that you have with your kids. What are some of the challenges, would you say, of homeschooling that do cause fear and anxiety?
1: I think the three biggest would be having other kids at home babies and toddlers and and sort of balancing and living in the tension between playing mom and playing teacher yes I think if you have a struggling learner or maybe a special needs child that brings upon a whole mixed bag of extra struggles that you wouldn't otherwise normally have in homeschooling and I also just think the um, the weight of a lot of naysayers in a mom's life because homeschooling is sort of the different path and and different is always a little bit um, fearful or brings about fear. And so, especially for the mom who maybe doesn't have a background in teaching or maybe doesn't even enjoy teaching, but is doing it out of obedience. Right. I think those are the three biggest struggles that homeschooling moms face. Well,
0: I think those are really important things to talk about. So, for example, when you talk about the challenge of homeschooling maybe a six-year-old, but you also have a toddler and a baby. That is tough. I mean, that that is tough. I've been there, and I know how that is when you're trying to feed the baby and get a snack for the toddler, get the toddler down for a nap, and then you're supposed to be paying attention to the kid who's supposed to be learning a lesson, and then you feel like maybe the older kid is not getting the attention that he needs.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and sometimes we have to acknowledge that our days will often look like home school, but other days it'll look like home school And you have to learn to live in the balance of both. And there's really no secret formula because as with all things, you kind of have to be able to recognize the biggest fires and tackle those first. Right. But I think homeschooling is best done when we mimic the pattern of how Jesus taught. You know, Jesus taught with real life. He had crowds of people, some of whom were listening, some of whom weren't. They had babies crying in the background, rotting fish washing up along the shore at his feet. He was always teaching around messy living, but he used those experiences and those points of living to teach some really big things in gentle ways. So if we can remember that as homeschool moms to actually use those moments of our day as teaching points and to be able to teach our kids through real life. Yeah, It'll only benefit all of
0: us. That's really important for people to remember. So what would you say to the mom who's listening who says, I am trying to do this and I'm worn out because I've got these little ones mm-hmm. who aren't old enough for school. I feel like I'm jipping my older child. I know I need to take advantage of the time that I have with all the children. How do I balance those things? What are some really some pieces of advice that might help that mother?
1: Well, I think self-care is very important in homeschooling, and obviously homeschooling is an active service and worship, and so there's a lot of pouring out, but you can't pour out from an empty cup. So mm-hmm. self-care is key. I find in my day, if I don't take at least 10 minutes, and I'm a natural extrovert, so I love being around people, but I need at least 10 to 15 minutes in my day to just sort of regroup and repurpose and refocus Um, in quiet. And that's not always easy, especially if you have little ones underfoot. But you have to find small little pockets in the day to carve out for yourself. And if you're going to want to have longevity with this thing and and remain sane while you're doing it. (laughs) Um, And I think it's really important to acknowledge your limitations. I think that's one of the blessings of homeschooling is that our kids get to see the ugliness of us day in and day out, they know that we're not their savior and they don't need a perfect mother. They don't need a mother who has it all figured out. Otherwise we'd be pointing them in the wrong direction. So in acknowledging that we have limitations, it actually brings us to the feet of the one who really does have it all in control. And it reminds us and points our gaze, um, to our true source of courage.
0: Well, I agree with that. What about the struggling learner? This is something else you address in the book. You might have a child who's, you know, struggling in certain areas. Maybe your child is dys- dyslexic or has some sort of learning disability or just, you know, not very good at paying attention, something. Just in general, some learner who's not the perfect little student sitting at the table all day long. What would you say to the mom who says, I'm ready to give up? Because he just, he's not listening to me. He's not sitting still. When is it time to pack it in?
1: Well, I would just encourage that mom by saying to remember that struggle is a verb. And that implies action. It shows you that you're not giving up and they're not giving up. Um, you're not sittily, sitting idly just throwing your hands up in the air. And that's important to remember. Um, I also would say that the real teachers have struggling learners, too. Yes. Um, and so in sending your kid off to school, And maybe they would have an IEP, an individualized education plan with a, a, quote unquote, real teacher in the school system. But really, homeschooling by its very definition is an IEP because everything you do can be catered to that particular child. And I would also encourage her to reach out, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody else, to maybe there's um, a support network in your area, or maybe a private, um, a privatized organization that can help you and come alongside you if your child has a learning disability. Homeschooling doesn't mean that you have to teach all the things. It just means that you get to decide what is taught and where and by whom, and that should give some real freedom So definitely reach out and ask for help if if you think that there might be something there that is beyond maybe your ability. Well, that's so important.
0: Jamie, I know that homeschooling has really come a long way in the last several decades, and there's so many more options available for homeschooling moms. What would you say in your experience have been some of the best developments in homeschooling that have made life a little bit easier, both for mom and potentially for the children she's trying to educate?
1: Well, my husband was homeschooled back in the 80s and 90s, so I have a little bit of a longer view or perspective of homeschooling and have seen the timeline evolve, and I can say that the two biggest benefits um, of recent days has been just the homeschooling community at large has really widened and expanded, and you can really find um, your tribe of people if you're out there looking for community. And also, because we live in the digital age, that in itself has offered has opened the doors wide for homeschooling moms, especially for those of us who maybe struggle in one area of teaching. I know for me, I have a lifelong anonymity with um, math. Math and I do not get along, (laughs) but I don't let that stop me because there's plenty of resources out there that can come alongside me and help me as I teach my kids. And so just having that digital age, being able to go online and, and take a class online if I need to or have my kids take a class online, that was not available you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when my husband was homeschooling.
0: Well, that's such a good point because when we had the internet come along and you were able to see things come along online, you have even Christian schools online, you have videos that are available from certain teachers, it really has changed the landscape. But again, homeschool moms need encouragement. We're gonna come back with Jamie Erickson talking about her book, Homeschool Bravely. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now, the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet, the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all, because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing a emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Shayna was one of those kids who had never heard about Jesus until God used Heart for Lebanon to give her the good news of eternal life. When she was given the assignment in Heart for Lebanon's educational program to write about a defining moment in her life, Shayna chose to write this. We were in Syria and we knew nothing about Christ the Lord. When we came to Lebanon, I joined Heart for Lebanon School. It is there where I got to know that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and that whosoever worships him will have eternal life. Shana had that opportunity to hear about Jesus because people just like you were willing to support the work of Heart for Lebanon, but they can't do it without your help. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888 247-5499. 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Once again, that number to call, 888-247-5499. A gift of $58 helps one family right now. Call 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. I think it's very obvious that if you are called to homeschool, you need to homeschool. It's a very important calling, maybe one of the most important callings you'll ever have as a mother. We're talking with Jamie Erickson, a homeschooling mom of five, founder of The Unlikely Homeschool and author of Homeschool Bravely. And and this is a question, Jamie, that I think a lot of moms have. How do I know if I'm called to homeschool? Because you mentioned before, you and math don't get along very well. And so there -hmm. there will be a lot of Christian moms who say, I don't really want my kids in the public school. I want my kids to have a biblical worldview. I want to be able to make sure that they're educated education is Bible-focused and, and, and they have the kind of attention they need at home. However, what are the disqualifiers? You might have a mom who says, because math and I don't get along, that means God doesn't want me to homeschool. How do you discern whether or not God wants you to homeschool your children?
1: Well, I think as with anything, it has to be prayerfully considered. I think you also have to seek out some of the people that God has placed in your life, the, pe- the mentors and the, and the community that he's put in place and seek out their advice and see what their experience has been in all different forms of education, public, private, homeschool. In the back of my book, I have a really great list of questions that can help you weed through some of those thoughts that you're thinking about, maybe I don't feel qualified. So definitely ask those questions of the people that God has put in, in your circle. But I'd also say that oftentimes when talking with a mom, she'll give me an excuse about why they're homeschooling. You know, my my husband has an odd work schedule, or my, I have a bunch of night owls that don't want to get up for the school bus. And she'll give me all kinds of reasons of why they sort of came in through the back door of homeschooling. And, and that's fine. But I'd also say that um, that's God's providence, that maybe those are the particular circumstances that He's put in place in order that maybe homeschooling was the only option um, in order to point you to it. So right. I think sometimes we we don't always see, like the, the two men on the road to Emmaus, we don't always see Jesus standing there kicking up sand along next to us, but it's it's him. He's there. And that's his providence in the everyday circumstances that he's ordained in our lives.
0: Very true. You say in your book, the real challenge to homeschooling bravely is finding your vision and passion for it and then firmly grabbing hold of that vision. So the shaky days don't break you. Can you expand Mm -hmm. on that a little bit? How do you find your vision and your passion for homeschooling and then hang on to it through those difficult times?
1: Well, the dark days are going to come because we live in an imperfect world For me, I always start my school year way ahead in the summer, and I begin to pray, God, I know the dark days days are going to come. I know I'm going to have shaky days. Would you give me a word from your scripture that I can cling to? Give me a verse or a a passage so that when I feel depleted or when I want to just, you know, put them at the end of the curb and let the big yellow bus come and carry them off, that you will remind me of this calling, and I will feel bolstered in it. And I, I have found, because I've been doing this now for many years, I've found that it's in those dark days, like Isaiah says, hmm. that that there are treasures that I wouldn't find apart from those dark days. God has really used homeschooling as a tool to refine me and some, to chisel off some of those really hard places. But it's taken me several years to be able to look back and see and, and being able to acknowledge how he has used homeschooling in my life and the life of my kids. Then when those dark days do come and those shaky di- times do come, I can, can stand firm with some resolve knowing this is what he has for us. Homeschooling is not without its struggles. These are just the struggles and strengths that God wants my family to have.
0: That's good. Is there a special role, would you say, Jamie, for the husband to be a particular encouragement to you, either your husband or the husband of other moms who are listening? What role should the husband play, the father play in keeping mom encouraged and keeping mom on track?
1: I think it depends on the family. I know some husbands are more hands-on in the day-to-day activities of homeschooling. Some husbands like to be informed about curriculum choices and be able to give opinions about that. My husband does work from home, so he has the, the gift of being right alongside us if he should choose to, but mostly he's often just a listening ear, a sounding board. And at the dinner table, we'll all go around the table and sort of say the things that were great about our day and what we've learned. And he can just pour into my kids and into our homeschool in that way. And also, I think it's important for husbands to come alongside mom and and offer her, even just to encourage her to take a day off homeschooling, guilt-free, to great. just have a day to herself. And and sometimes it takes a husband actually saying that out loud For a mom to say, okay, I have permission to pencil myself back into my life, and that's okay. Right. You know, one of
0: the things I've heard from homeschooling moms is wanting to evaluate whether or not your particular child is getting a good education. Because for a lot of moms, we're going back to this subject that you raised earlier that you felt a little inadequate when it comes to math, and other moms might feel a Mm -hmm. little inadequate in other subjects, but how do you evaluate that? I know you were a teacher, but how do you keep tabs on how your kids are doing if they're staying up and, and are staying on track for their age level and things like that?
1: I think there's plenty of resources out there. There's books about, you know, what should my child be learning this year? A lot of states, including the state that I live in, require um, normative tests every year, so achievement tests at the end of the year to just see how that child's learning stacks up with the masses, and that can be helpful. I think you have to lean on that very gently and not let that determine whether you get a pass or fail in homeschooling. But I I think the goal is not necessarily to meet somebody else's standard. It's forward motion. Hmm. You know, should your child be learning something new every day? Education really is the building of the mind and not necessarily meeting a checkbox or, or earning a certain percentage. So I think you have to trust your instincts as a mom to see, yes, from the beginning of the school year to the end of the school year, I have seen significant forward motion. I have seen that my child has cultivated a love of learning and wants to do that all on his own self. And so I think it has to be a balance of both. You can use some tools to assess, to help you assess some progress, but then you also just have to know your child and see how he's excelling in not just academics, but in in character in a love for the Lord, right. in relationships. There's there's forward motion in all of those things, and I think homeschooling really lends itself to forming a one-piece life.
0: Hmm. Have you needed other moms along the way to keep you encouraged? How important has it been for you to have outside fellowship, outside the home?
1: Absolutely. In fact, every season of my homeschooling journey, I have formulated some kind of mom support for myself. And and when I went looking for that and didn't find it, I just took it upon myself to create it because I knew how important that would be for me and my personality. And some moms don't need that hand-holding and that's perfectly fine. This is your permission to be completely you. Um, But for me, I knew I needed that. I'm new to a city, we just moved here two months ago and I looked around and I didn't see a vibrant mom community so I've started creating that for myself. And, and remember, as a mom, if you feel lonely in this calling that God has given you to homeschool, chances are you're not the only one. Right. So start forming your tribe and be the one to send out the invitation.
0: I think that's really good advice.
1: Is there anything
0: during your homeschooling time that you look back on and say, I would have done that differently? I learned from that mistake?
1: Well, the number one thing that I can come back to without living in a constant state of regret is I wish I would have been more gentle in those initial years when I had just one child who was in kindergarten and the others, you know, were toddlers and babies. I wanted every single thing to count. I Mm -hmm. wanted it all to add up to this quantifiable thing called school. And I, I now... Because I have many years under my belt, I realized you know it didn 't have to be so formal, hmm. and she was learning all on her own. God wired us to be creative and to um, to wonder and have curiosity and i I knew that was in her. But because of my formal training as a teacher, I had all these processes and programs and formulas set up to Hmm. make learning count. Yes. And I wish I would have just let her learn through curiosity and not been um, so formal about it. Well, I I
0: can't imagine there's any homeschool mom who looks back and doesn't say on some level, oh man, I should have done that a little bit differently or I should have handled that in a different way. That's that's part of life. And I think we all do that regardless of what our calling is. But the book is called Homeschool Bravely, How to Squash Doubt, Trust God, and Teach Your Child with Confidence. You can check out Jamie's website, theunlikelyhomeschool.com. Jamie Erickson with us. So good to talk to you, Jamie. God bless you and keep up the good work. Thank you. And you too. All right. God bless you. And thanks again for being here. Thank you for joining us at Janet Meffer today. We will see you next time.